This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. One of the areas that Donald Trump has said that he wants to rewrite when he takes office is that of trade. He says that he wants to do re, uh, redo NAFTA. He's also said that he's not in favor of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, also known as TPP. The deal, which seems all but dead at this point, was one that had been praised by President Obama as a way to build the American economy and grow jobs as well. But the question with TPP is in jeopardy, uh, is, what, uh, is what will the state be of relations between the world's two biggest nations, the United States and China? Penn Law Professor Jacques Delisle joins us. He's also director director of the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. And also joining us shortly is Ann Lee, adjunct professor of economics and finance at New York University. Jacques, great to have you on the show with us today. Uh, great to be back, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, in your opinion, is TPP dead at this point? Uh, for the U.S., yeah, I think it's uh, if it's not dead, it's certainly deeply in a coma. I don't really see it emerging uh, from what's happened. I mean, Obama, as we all know, was pushing for it, but... Prior to the election, both the major party candidates had declared themselves against it. I think uh, Trump more sincerely than Hillary, and I don't see Congress uh, passing it either. So I think we're, we're at a moment where TPP is not going to happen. So is there there's n- really not even a common ground that, that could p- potentially see a reworking of this deal? Well, I mean, you know, in the long run, anything uh, can happen, and I, I do think the, the sense that we're headed toward an era of really rolling back uh, trade liberalization is, is exaggerated. I don't think we quite know what uh, the future President Trump will do, but I'd be real surprised if there were a, a movement to, to, to go forward on TPP in the short run. But, well, yeah, we'll see something, some kind of negotiation on trade, I'm sure. We'll be joined by Ann Lee in just a second. Uh, then there's climate change. Uh, President-elect Trump has said that, that that is a farce and that it was a hoax by the, by the Chinese, uh, although him saying that he's kind of, you know, uh, guessing that it may have been he was taking it as a joke in the first place. But nonetheless, this ends up being kind of an important piece to this whole relationship between China and the United States going forward. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, what we're seeing is on two fronts, on the trade front, and it's really more than trade, the international economic integration front with TPP and on climate change, we had reached a moment where the U.S. was taking something of a leadership role. On the trade and investment front, it was a little complicated because the TPP, led by the U.S., and the RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, led by China, were kind of rivalrous arrangements. And on climate change, after the U.S. and China being the uh, two biggest polluters who weren't really conforming, uh, you know, they got together. We had this this accord put in place, and they had kind of a U.S.-China leadership role on that. And both of those are at best in jeopardy, and I think, at least for now, gone. Ann Lee joins us right now. And your reaction to uh, what we have seen with uh, President-elect Trump uh, and the relationship, uh, potential relationship with China going forward? Well, um, I would say that the rhetoric certainly hasn't helped. Uh, but I also think that right now who he appoints in his administration to deal with China will matter even more. And the fact that he's floating names like Peter Navarro um, is very disconcerting because uh, this person has written books that were very <clears throat> inflammatory. Uh, a lot of facts were, you know, suspect in them. And 
you know, it would be very damaging, I think, to U.S.-China relations if he appoints certain people like that uh, to to office. And um, and so, yeah, I, I think that it's uh, we have to wait and see uh, because I guess with a Trump presidency, a lot of people believe that <laughs> unpredictable is the operative word. Right. Um, and so no one really truly knows what he's really thinking and what he plans to do. But uh, I think that who he surrounds himself will be a huge indicator. And, and I guess uh, playing off of something I asked Jock a second ago is uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership appears to be uh, uh, well beyond the reach right now of seeing it uh, happen involving the United States. Uh, but in your mind, could there be some pieces to it that, you know, it, it may be a may need a rework, but we may see some sort of deal down the road? Oh, definitely it's possible. Since Trump fashions himself as the ultimate deal maker, I'm sure that he will want to have some kind of trade deal with his name on it. And so um, whatever pieces from TPP that he likes, he may just take that and scrap the rest and call it something else. So uh, he's a very pragmatic person as a businessman. I think that he will try to do something that um, will suit what he thinks is in his interest and the country's interest. And so um, I don't think it's completely dead. I think that they're, um, it's just probably going to be called something else. And with a slightly, you know, twist, slight twist to it. As you sit here today, what are the the areas that you look at uh, going forward in terms of really getting a sense as how this relationship will build out? Are, are there some key areas that you think are important to keep an eye on? Uh, well, I think uh, it's the usual suspects, right? It's going to be uh, clearly the trade negotiations, how that goes, whether he's going to really slap on high tariffs. Uh, I suspect he would have to go to the WTO for a number of these things. Um, whether he decides to label China you know, currency manipulator, um, that, that might have something to do with it, whether... Uh, yeah, and, and I would say political things also will play a role because clearly... Politics and economics overlap, and um, if he decides to take a hard line against China politically, like in the South China Seas, or um, takes a harsher stance with North Korea and, you know, sanctions and other things follow, then um, that will certainly have a strong economic impact as well. Jacques? So I would look at both economic and political moves here. Sure. Jacques, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think that's probably the the right list. Um, the Chinese response, tellingly, initially was to say that uh, we need to continue to cooperate and work on areas of economic cooperation, keeping basically a message that says let's let's not blow up uh, the trade relationship. Uh, I think that's partly uh, an indication of of where China's putting its priorities, and it's partly an indication of what they were concerned about with Trump. Yeah, the tariff thing would be tough. It would be if, if he were to try to do that, we'd instantly wind up in front of the WTO and, and putting 45 percent tariffs on is, is you know, pretty hard to justify under WTO rules. Currency manipulation, that one strikes me as quite odd as well, because although 
there was a time when China was depressing the value of its currency. Lately, it's been more likely to be propping it up. So I don't you know, think that's a fair label, but that's one the president has a lot more discretion over. Uh, the points of friction clearly are, are there on the economic side, on the security side. Again, the South China Sea is probably the biggest, biggest part. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think we'll see what happens. The Chinese have a habit of of putting new American presidents to the test, but I think they're you know trying to calculate how that would be done here, and then it's a little tougher to figure with Trump. Some of the numbers that uh, that have been put out in in various articles about those tariffs talk about thirty five or forty five percent that that Trump would would try and levy on on goods coming from China. Uh, that as an impact, I mean, you mentioned being in front of the WTO. But the impact on that is just incredible to kind of try and wrap your head around, Jacques. Yeah, I mean, well, it would, it would, obviously it's huge. I mean, it's, it, it was uh, the kind of tariff increase I haven't seen in, you know, a long, long time. And it would it would provoke, I'm sure, a series of retaliations. And we could very quickly slip into a trade war. I mean, I got to think that, like many things that, that Trump has said, is, is rhetoric that will turn into either something he'll back away from or something to be used as a, as a bargaining trip. You know, the way that the, the way these things work is if the U.S. were to do that, then you know, China could play tit for tat and, and, and engage in immediate retaliation or it could go through the WTO process, uh, in which case, you know, we'd have to come up with some reason to justify that kind of tariff increase. And then there would have to be something like Chinese dumping or Chinese subsidies. And that would be a very hard case to make. But, you know, it's a, it's a process that, that grinds exceedingly slow. And in the interim, if those kinds of uh, tariffs were in place, I can't imagine the Chinese would would wait uh, to retaliate. And we would wind up in a situation where, you know, eventually we'll get some decision about who's wrong and who's right. But in the meantime, it would be a pretty chaotic situation. And Well, I would agree with most of what he said. I mean, I would say that uh, if Trump goes forward with such tariffs, it probably would hurt the U.S. companies more so uh, because they have outsourced a lot to China. Uh, things being imported with such high tariffs would mean immediate, um, you know, price inflation here in the U.S. I think that would cause a lot of people to suffer who are already on, you know, uh, strapped incomes. And I think that, you know, by pressuring company profits this way, this is not going to help make America stronger, as he promised. So I, I, I think that he's going to look at this and, and, you know, modify what he said on the campaign trail. Right. And as we've already seen, he has sort of walked back a lot of the things that he had said. And, um, and I would suspect that this would be one of them, because uh, as the other, you know, Jacques said, I think that China would certainly have a list of things that they would do to react. Um, China has, you know, from time and uh, time again, they have not just sat back passively, they would react doing something else, uh, maybe not in the exact same form as the U.S., but they would, you know, have some kind of move that would say, well, we're not going to, you know, just take this on the chin. We're right. you know, pursuing another role here to um, increase our influence and, and whatnot. So, um, so I think Trump will uh, be a little more pragmatic about how he goes about this. 
We're joined by Ann Lee, who's an adjunct professor of economics and finance at New York University. Jacques Delisle of uh, Penn Law joining us. Your comments are welcome at 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you're more than welcome to send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. And in your mind, what – and again, part of this may be kind of up in the air because, as you said and many people have said, uh, you, you, we're still trying to get a gauge as to what a Trump presidency would be at this point. But uh, in your mind, what does China want to want to have from this relationship going forward? China would like to have a smooth economic relationship with the U.S., uh, as well as a political relationship. Uh, China's most fearful of some kind of military or security uh, issue with the U.S. because U.S. clearly dominates uh, on the military, in the military side, uh, even though uh, China may be stronger economically in the Asia-Pacific re- region. But, you know, China certainly recognizes that um, any sort of Political military uh, threat uh, would not be good for them economically, and so they want to make sure those tensions are uh, moderated. And um, and this is going to be concerning because uh, I guess John Bolton's name is floated as the next Secretary of State, and yeah. this guy is known to be a very hawkish person under the Bush administration. Uh, and so this you know, would be a huge question mark for China, um, even though that they probably initially were relieved that Trump won because Hillary has also shown very hawkish uh, colors uh, in the past, you know, with the Asia pivot, with all her human rights talk. And so, um, and so I think that China is probably nervous about this. Uh, certainly, you know, with the world slowing down economically, uh, you know, any tensions with the U.S. would even make things worse. And so China wants to avoid that at all costs. Jacques? I think there's a real ambivalence in China about the uh, prospect of a Trump presidency. I certainly saw a lot of this before the election happened. There's, uh, you know, there, there was, a, I think, a greater openness to the idea of Trump winning than you usually see. The Chinese generally want continuity. They want the party in power to stay in power because, you know, the relationship's relatively stable, why disrupt it? This time was a little different. Uh, some of it, I think, was was straightforwardly anti-Hillary. As, as Anne just said, there's the sense that she was behind the pivot, that she was a human rights critic all the way back to her days as first lady and was generally going to be a, a sort of more assertive, more muscular uh, foreign policy person than Obama had been. And that was all kind of disconcerting. Uh, but, uh, you know, with, with Trump, they've got a little bit of the dog that caught the car quality to it. You know, that is... Um, that is, on the one hand, uh, there's there's this belief that he will be somewhat better. He's likely to emphasize the economic relationship, where although there are tensions, it's not as zero-sum as the security relationship. There's a sense that he will perhaps uh, get the U.S. a little bit out of China's face on security issues, as well as uh, the kind of political you know, human rights type issues. Uh, and there's some, I think, um, um, celebration almost at the American comeuppance. That is, you know, Trump is not pushing this American exceptionalism, we're so great kind of story. He's been very critical of how the U.S. Is, U.S. behaves. And uh, and you know, I think that all of that is seen as, as uh, reducing some of the U.S. assertiveness toward China. Right. On the other hand, 
there is this real concern that he is unpredictable. And unpredictability is not something they generally like. And there's a real ambivalence about what it would mean if the U.S. withdrew some from Asia, because although that's you know, good from one Chinese perspective about you know, who, has some, who has greater influence in the region, what does Japan do? What does South Korea do? Right. They really think that, that the U.S. is going to abandon, the, abandon them the way Trump is sometimes talked, then they have to rely on their own resources. And that means they're going to be skittish. They may develop nuclear weapons. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, it's, it's a nightmare scenario out there that may not be better for China. And I wanted to get into that as well in terms of, uh, of Japan and, and South Korea and the impact that they may feel from all of this. What's your opinion on how that may, may potentially play out? Uh, well, the leaders there are clearly nervous already, um, and in fact, I know that the Korean uh, administration was very nervous uh, even during the campaign because I had to meet with, uh, you know, the Consul General about uh, the issues with Trump, and I think that Japan would be feeling it even more so um, because the tensions, the recent tensions with China over the East China Sea and all that, uh, certainly it was because you know. Abe felt that the U.S. was, you know, solidly on his side, and if Trump uh, were to reverse that, then suddenly uh, Abe would feel somewhat naked about the whole thing. So I think that um, these two countries are, uh, you know, going to demand answers and will try everything in their power to um, ensure that the U.S. relationship doesn't change. And it sounds like based on these reports that, you know, Trump is promising that he's not um, necessarily going to back away. He's saying that he's going to invest in the military and make sure that, you know, China respects the U.S. uh, in the South China Seas. And so it sounds like, again, um, Trump is backpedaling a lot of things that he said, even though his whole campaign was one on sort of a, you know, isolationist, a platform, a, you know, non-military intervention sort of campaign, it sounds like he's actually, you know, doing a bait and switch here. And so it's it's really not clear uh, what's going to happen. One of the other areas, shock that uh, that has been written about also is that in the last few months, there have been uh, some very interesting uh, M&A deals involving Chinese firms in other parts of the world. Uh, a little bit of that happening in the United States. Uh, if if some of this stuff plays out, seemingly that, that, that M&A is, is going to slow down to a trickle, if not to a, a complete halt altogether. Yeah, well, I mean, there's been a, you know, a long-term trend of, of China going out and investing, often acquiring. This is, this is sort of the natural trajectory of an economy that's no longer capital scarce and is looking for opportunities abroad. Uh, and I think you know, it's not really clear what a Trump presidency would mean for that. If if we got into a real uh, tense bilateral relationship, then there might be concerns about those investments uh, being at risk. But again, there is this uh, this somewhat of wait-and-see attitude. I mean, I, I think the notion that Trump is isolationist is probably exaggerated. I think it's much more that, that he's uh, uh, very much focused on American short-term interests narrowly defined. And, and so you can still have a fairly assertive posture that could cause some trouble with China while still uh, concerning the allies because, you know, he's less likely to take their account, their concerns fully into account. Um, you know, China's long been complaining about what they see as U.S. Um, politically based restrictions on 
Chinese foreign investment, and they've adopted their own uh, kind of mirror image law, national security scrutiny for investment. So those tools are there. And so these investments, I think, are vulnerable to ratcheting up or ratcheting down. I mean, in the U.S., we have the Committee on Foreign Investments in the United States process, a multi-agency process. It's very rarely used to stop deals, but the, the lion's share of the deals that have been stopped have come from China, and that's even before we see a uh, possible downturn in the relationship. So everybody's going to be looking at that. Uh, that said, the Chinese companies that go out and do investments, I mean, yeah, they're profit oriented, profit motivated, but the big ones are closely linked with the state, so their decisions are partly politically influenced. So you really have this you know, complex set of, of feedback loops that I think would kick in if it looked like things were deteriorating in terms of the basic political relationship between China and the U.S. And? Um, well, I think that if Chinese M&A slows down in the U.S., uh, it will probably pick up in other parts of the world. Um, I don't think that China wants to slow down their investments outside of China. Uh, a lot of the companies, whether they're private or public, I mean, I would say that private companies like Alibaba or um, or the Wanda Group, I mean, they clearly, you know, have their own agenda, not necessarily guided by the state. And um, and I think that, you know, they have good relationships with many Western counterparts, and so that will continue uh, in my mind. And I think that, uh, you know, they will try to act as, I guess, Chinese ambassadors to try to sort of smooth the way, um, you know, from a business point of view uh, and, and, and counter whatever perceptions that Americans might have about, you know, Chinese, uh, I guess, you know, agendas or, or you know, other uh, ways of, of viewing China. So I think that, um, again, like if it puts a, a pall to M&A in the U.S., uh, it's likely that China will work more closely with other countries that are open for business, whether it's Germany or Russia or others. And so... Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's what we'll see. Well, and one of the things uh, we mentioned with Jacques before we got you online was was involving climate change. And and I wanted to get your opinion on that as well, because obviously Mr. Trump has some rather strong viewpoints uh, on, on that. And I would think a lot of people are not in agreement with his viewpoints on that. Uh, and obviously coming off of the Paris Accord, uh, we're talking about a kind of a transitional time where so many more countries are are thinking about climate change. Uh, and, and things that they need to do to address it. Uh, that's certainly one of the areas where whatever ground has been gained uh, in the last year or two, uh, it feels like it has the opportunity to, to be ripped apart. Uh, that certainly is a concern. However, I will say that there are other realities also um, that will get in the way of Trump completely you know, reversing everything because you know, he may want to bring back coal miners, but the fact of the matter is natural gas is so cheap now that it's not economical to switch back to coal. And so um, there are going to be economic realities that will, you know, keep uh, certain things in place. And regarding China, I mean, I think China is going to stick with it regardless of what the U.S. does, because China just has to clean up its environment. They have immediate pressures to deal with the air quality and the water pollution. And um, and so China already is surpassing the U.S. in the number of 
green technology that they're investing in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the Heinrich Boll Foundation in Germany had said that China invests twice as much uh, in green technology as the U.S. Uh, as of now. And so I don't think that's going to reverse any time mm-hmm. um, soon. And so I think that, uh, you know, various uh, pledges by other countries will continue whether, you know, Trump decides to step away from the Paris Accord or not. Uh, but hopefully, you know, Trump will realize that, you know, his promises um, are unrealistic, like I said, because of other economic factors. I'll ask this to both of you, and Jacques, I'll start with you. If you're putting together a, almost a little bit of a playbook for for Mr. Trump to, to follow on the relationship between China and the United States, what do you think are, are, are the key things that, that need to be uh, need to be looked at going forward. I won't even say acted upon, but at least looked at going forward. Well, I, mean, I think the you know, the issues are are pretty clear, and and it's it's not that there's anything new under the sun to be dealt with. It's really a question of how he's going to deal with it, right? So, right. you know, we have an extremely robust, broad based relationship. It's based on trade and investment, and uh, you know, just a, a very complex economic relationship. Uh, huge numbers of people going back and forth. Uh, we have some significant security issues, primarily in the Western Pacific, where, you know, we've now settled into a situation where China has reached the level that uh, it is by no means a peer competitor, by no means a peer power, but it has the ability to make it costly for the U.S. to intervene. You know, those things are, are perennials and any president's got to deal with them. We have relatively stable ways of dealing with it. And the challenge there is for Trump not to upset that a particular apple cart. I mean, and, yeah, I think the biggest uh, the biggest danger, in some sense, uh, to the relationship, is that uh, the kinds of things we talked about. If we do see an attempt to slap on tariffs, the Chinese are going to retaliate. If we if we do have a situation where a future President Trump or a soon to be President Trump fails to reassure the allies, then that uh, greatly deepens doubts that were already there about the security of the U.S. commitment, and that r- runs the risk of undoing what's been a pretty good arrangement in the post-war period, where largely uh, underwritten by the U.S., we've had you know peace, stability, open sea lanes, right. all that uh, good sort of stuff. Uh, and I think uh, what is also put at risk is the areas where, after a, you know, a significant rough patch in U.S.-China relations, we were starting to see uh, some areas of cooperation and progress. We got them past portraying the TPP and the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank and all those other things as rivalrous and instead said, hey, maybe we could be semi-cooperative on this. We had the breakthrough on climate change. I think in all those areas, there's a risk of of unraveling the politics of it. I mean, I think Anna's right. There's a lot of other things going on in the economics of it. Um, and, you know, so there's the coal, the coal miners aren't coming back. China's going to yeah. continue to invest in green energy. Um, but, you know, in terms of the possibility of cooperation and in terms of specific steps to meet greenhouse gas goals, as opposed to you know, cleaning up the air or the water in general, you can see some unraveling. And I think there's a real risk that the U.S. will essentially cede the leadership role it's played if Trump isn't careful. And anything you want to add to that? Well, he did a good job, a, a comprehensive sweep. I mean, I would, I would basically say that um, Trump needs to ensure that to make America great doesn't mean to hurt other countries. Um, that he should see the wisdom of of being strong without being um, mean or caustic with other with other countries, and I think that that means you know, finding a way to be cooperative with China and with other uh, 
nations in, in achieving economic goals and uh, and security goals. Uh, I think that the the danger is if he surrounds himself with people who see things in a zero sum fashion, and that's you know where I think it's concerning who he decides to surround himself with um, in his administration, and that's uh, and that's where things can go wrong because if he takes that zero sum uh, tax, then it's then you could really uh, things could really spiral downhill quickly. Right. And um, and so the advice he gets is going to matter a lot, and uh, and that often depends on you know what kind of view you have of the world, and um, and so I'm hoping that uh, Trump, with his you know business acumen, he will he will realize that uh, you know to be a tough negotiator doesn't mean that you take away other countries' interests. Um, in order to achieve your own, but that, you know, they can come up with more creative ways than we've right. seen in the past here in terms of moving the ball forward. Great to have you both joining us today. Thank you, Jacques. Thank you, Anne. All the best. Thank you. Thank you, Anne Lee from New York University, Jacques Delisle uh, from the, the University of Pennsylvania Law School. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.